My name is David. I'm the pastor here. I'm glad y'all are with us this morning. Turn to John 20. Got a Bible. A couple of things. Um, just if you're uh, thinking about Highlands and best ways to support them, uh, sometimes when you hear prayer, that just kind of bounces off. Sounds like something that we should say we want. Um, not projecting onto David, but when we were in that spot, prayer is super important for us. You kind of feel like you're holding water, like literally in your hands, and it can any any little movement, you can kind of lose what you have. And so pray for him. They've got a lot of decisions coming up, and sometimes you can feel like the weight of the world is resting upon those decisions. So pray for Highlands. You can give. You can either give on their website, highlandsmarietta.org, or you can give here and just write Highlands in the just note that it's for Highlands and we'll get it to them. And I would say visit. They're, they meet right up the street at four on Sundays. And you visiting, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything other than you're visiting. You don't have to feel worried that you're going to run into me and I'm going to see you at Highlands. It, like, it's fine. We want everyone who feels called to that church who wants you to be a part. And whether you feel called or not, it's, it's nice when you're there on a Sunday night to have some people around who kind of get what you're doing and can be supportive, whether they're committed to that particular congregation or not, just to have kind of friends and family there can be really nice. And so um, visit, I would encourage all of you to try to visit at least one time. And if it winds up being something that you want to stick with, then by all means, do that. So uh, just keep them, keep them in mind over these next few months as they're trying to kind of get their feet underneath them. Okay, this is it for John. Like, I think this is message 50. Seems like 500 for me. I'm sure you remember all of them. They were really good. But we're going to try to summarize all of John uh, this morning. Obviously, we're not going to go through all of it. But he, John, gives this summary statement in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, here's why I wrote the book. And so we're going to dig in a little bit into that summary statement as our wrap-up looking at John's gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these signs names. So there's there's seven signs in John's gospel. Turns water into wine. That's the first one. He heals an official son who's really close to death. He heals a guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years. Um, He feeds 5,000 people, 5,000 men, probably 12,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. He walks on water. He heals a man who's born blind, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. So those are considered the seven signs of John. If you want to add Jesus' resurrection, nobody's going to argue with you. Uh, If you want to add those resurrection appearances that we've been looking at, nobody's going to argue about that either. But traditionally, those first seven things that I mentioned, those those are the signs that people talk about when they talk about John's gospel. And John says, I wrote those down instead of, instead of writing down all of them. Remember last week we saw the last verse in the book. John says, if, if I wrote down everything Jesus did, there wouldn't be, there's not enough room for all of that. So he picked these seven signs because he thought they would help point to or reveal that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he doesn't just want us to know that kind of intellectually, okay, we can check the box, he wants us to believe that that is true, to base our life on that, and so, and in, in so doing, to, to receive life. And so we're going to try to unpack that again just a little bit. We can't dive into too much depth. We've already done that. But just kind of looking over the surface at these seven signs, and the way I want you trying to engage with, um, with this content this morning is I want you thinking about 
uh, which, as we begin to talk about what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God, you just think, what, what if, which one of those do I kind of most need to hear right now where I am? Which one of these uh, pictures of who Jesus is, what it means for him to be the Messiah, which one of the, these signs as they're pointing, what's the thing I need to see most from him? And then we'll look to see if we can uh, receive from him as we close this morning. So seven signs. A sign is a miracle that reveals something about who Jesus is. A miracle, this is my definition, it's over an oversimplification, is um, it's an act of God where God supersedes the laws of nature. That's an easy way of understanding a miracle. It's an act of power, an expression of power, demonstrating Jesus's power. And one of the ways you can think about them is you can categorize them into three groups. What Jesus is exercising power over. He exercises power over creation. He exercises power over sickness. And he exercises power over death. And so each those collectively and then each one individually points to the fact that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. Remember, the Messiah is the rescuer, the one sent by the Father to rescue his people. And so when Jesus demonstrates power in these areas, that's, that's, that's what he's communicating. This is the kind of Messiah that I am. The Jews may have been looking for someone who would rescue them from their political situation. We're under Roman occupation. This pagan empire is oppressing us. And we need someone like David who will come and fight and rescue us from this wicked nation. Jesus doesn't do that. It's not the kind of Messiah that he is. He's, but he does rescue. He does promise to rescue them. And again, these, these signs point to what kind of Messiah he is. The first thing he does is he turns water into wine. Out of everything Jesus does, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is circle what doesn't belong to me. I don't get it on many levels. My first response, honestly, is like out of everything that you could have done at the reception, that, that's, that's it. That's the one you chose. There's a, a, um, a verse, Isaiah 25. The Jews were looking forward to the Messiah coming. And one of the metaphors in the Old Testament for the Messiah coming was the Messianic banquet. In the New Testament, we call it the wedding supper of the Lamb. You may have heard that phrase. But in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the Messiah coming. And one of the pictures that was painted in the prophets was when the Messiah comes, it's going to be like a feast. God is going to have this huge banquet and he's going to gather all of, the, all of his scattered children. They're all going to come to this huge feast, this huge banquet, and there's going to be great food and there's going to be wine. That's, that's what's going to be there. And so Jesus, for his first sign, his first miracle, the first thing to point to him as the Messiah, I think he turns water into wine as a wedding feast as saying, hey, there's a new era dawning. It's a new time in history because the Messiah is a new day. I think that's a claim to be the Messiah, this one who would, who was sent by the Father to begin to gather in all of God's scattered children, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. Power over creation. Water left to itself doesn't become wine. He feeds 5,000 men, 12,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And that one, he tells you, he tells us, he says, here's, here's what this points to. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Just like this bread that I, this food that I multiplied that meets your physical needs, so if you believe in me, I'll meet your spiritual needs. You'll never be hungry again. He walks on water. 
So this one, I think also we can miss sometimes. So the, the idea of water, particularly in the surrounding nations, water was seen as, as a sign or a symbol of chaos. It was dark. It was dangerous. Even the, the disciples, they just get in a boat and they're just kind of minding their own business, rowing across this lake. And then all of a sudden there's this massive storm and their lives are in danger. And then Jesus comes walking on the water and he calms everything down. And Jesus doing that, to me, it's, it's not just he calms the storms of your life, it's he also calms chaos, all of it. And everything that's instigating and stimulating that chaos, Jesus triumphs over all of that as well. It's interesting, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, holy moly. How about that? That was not, that was just a bulb that popped. Everybody good? All right. It's great. So we're moving in six months. Six, six months. If you haven't made your pledge, now will be it. You can do that now. So uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a prominent feature of Jesus' ministry is he casts demons out of people, exorcism. Doesn't do that one time in John. Not one time do you see him casting a demon out of everyone. But this Jesus walking on water, again, it, it, you, it, it's, it's subtle. But if, uh, to me, it's an expression of Jesus triumphing over darkness and even over Satan. Again, this idea that there, the sea and, and water represents chaos and kind of these wicked forces and Jesus walking on top of that and calming those Storms. He has power over creation. He has power over sickness. This one is familiar to us. My favorite of the seven signs, I don't know why, I just like it. I like this guy. The, Jesus heals this royal official's son. There's a guy and his son is close to death. He's near death. And he lives in Capernaum. And here is Jesus is 20 miles away in Canaan. And so he, he goes to meet him to try to get Jesus to come back and heal his son. And Jesus won't go. And he says, you go, your son is well. And this great line, John says, he took Jesus at his word and departed. He took Jesus at his word and departed. You see the element of faith in terms of how we interact with Jesus there. This guy goes home and he gets home and his son is better. And it turns out he started getting better. He was healed when Jesus said he would be. And the response is this guy and his family believe in Jesus. It's a great picture. It's a great picture to me. And then the next story, back to back, is this crotchety guy. He's been paralyzed for 38 years. He and a bunch of other guys who are just in these desperate physical situations are all gathered around this pool in Jerusalem. And the hope is when the water moves, whatever that means, the first one in will be healed. And this guy can't get there because he's paralyzed. And Jesus shows up into that place, which I would imagine is probably pretty wretched, just thinking about the desperation of the people and then also their desire to kind of be first in uh, to the pool and, and what kind of atmosphere that would create. And he shows up and he sees this guy and he says, do you want to be healed? And the guy doesn't say yes. He starts griping. Nobody's here to help me. And every time the waters move and I try to get there, somebody beats me to it. And Jesus says, take up your mat and go. And it's the Sabbath, and that's new. Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath. 
And so this guy's walking with his mat, and that's against the law because that's considered work. And the Pharisees see him and say, hey, why, who, who told you you could walk with your mat? This guy hadn't been able to walk for 38 years, and the thing they pick up on is that he's carrying a mat. And, they, and he says, I don't know. The, the guy who healed me, he told me. I don't know what his name was. And then Jesus circles back with this guy at the temple. This, to me, is telling about his heart. Circles back with this guy at the temple, and he says, stop sinning or something worse than being paralyzed for 38 years is going to happen to you. Stop sinning or something worse than being paralyzed for 38 years will befall you. And then the guy goes and rats Jesus out to the Pharisees. So when I think about him, I'm like, why'd you pick him? Out of all of the guys around the pool, you pick the cranky, cynical, resentful, bitter guy. I'm thinking about this official who in desperation and faith and hope and all of those things walks 20 miles when his son is close to death. That's a whole day. His son's about to die and he takes a day to walk to go find Jesus. And I'm like, yes, him, him, not this other guy. And when you see those things back to back, you see Jesus is compassionate, as merciful, as gracious. Everything that he does is a gift. None of us deserve. Whether it, it looks on the surface like this guy kind of deserves it and this guy doesn't really, the bottom line is none of us do. Every gift we receive is a gift. The work of God in our life is based on his love for us, his compassion, his mercy, his grace, his kindness. And when those two stories back to back, you can see that he heals a man born blind, which is the guy says, who's ever heard of that? That's what he says to the religious leaders. Who's ever heard of anybody healing a guy who's born blind? Especially if blindness is connected to God's judgment or this, he was born this way. And so the idea is, well, either he sinned in the womb somehow or his parents sinned. And this is God's judgment or God's punishment on sin. And for Jesus to heal him, what does that say about Jesus and his standing with God that he's able, if it, he, Jesus says nobody sinned. This was for the glory of God. And he's able to kind of step in and not just powerfully heal this man, but also reorient people's understanding of sickness and suffering and how the Lord works. He's Lord over sickness. He's exercised his power over sickness and over death. Healing of Lazarus, who'd been in dead for four days in a tomb. Lazarus's sister says, when Jesus says, roll the stone back, she says he's going to smell. That's how long he's been in there. And Jesus, in this instance, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he demonstrates that reality by calling Lazarus out of the grave, breaking the power of death, showing that he's stronger than this undefeated enemy. Everybody dies. And Jesus says, I'm stronger even than that one. These seven signs that all paint a picture, all show a different aspect of what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah the Son of God. John also has these seven I am statements, these seven metaphors. They're like name tags that Jesus puts on. This is who I am. And they also help unpack what it means for him to be the Messiah, the Son of God. You'll see them there on the screen. We're not going to go through all of them. You can read. But I would encourage you, begin to think through prayerfully, which one of these am I most needing to hear this morning? The Messiah is sent by the Father to rescue. He didn't rescue the Jews from an oppressive Roman government. 
He rescued them from sin. He rescued them from Satan. He rescued them from sickness. He rescued them from lack. He rescued them from death. He'll do the same for you. What do you need to be rescued from this morning? Do you need Jesus as the bread of life, the one who meets your needs, the light of the world, the one who can direct you? Or maybe you don't really know which way you're going, the gate. Beautiful picture, if you remember this. Gates in the ancient Near East, or excuse me, sheep pens in the ancient Near East were circular. And there was a hole in the middle, a gap. And the sheep would come and go from this circular pen through the gap. And at night, the shepherd would lay in that gap. He was the gate. The gate's not a door. The gate's a person who kept sheep in and protected and kept enemies out. Do you need that? This morning. John says, I told you these signs because I want you to believe, and believe doesn't mean think. Think and believe are not synonyms in the New Testament. Believe and trust are synonyms in the New Testament. Very different. John, maybe because he's the beloved disciple, he has this close connection with Jesus, I think does more than Matthew, Mark, or Luke to paint the picture of salvation as relationship. John 17, 3, here's your definition of eternal life. If you want to know what eternal life is, memorize John 17, 3. This is eternal life, Jesus says. Knowing you, Father, and the Son, Jesus, whom you sent. Eternal life is relationship to Father and to Son. When we hear believe, oftentimes we think mental, intellectual assent. These bullet points that we agree with in our mind. That is not the New Testament picture. To believe is to trust. You can see some synonyms up there through those I am statements. Words like follow, words like come after, words like eat. They're words that, that speak to relationship. God, or excuse me, John wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah and to, to believe or to trust those things, him, to trust that it is true that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Again, not just to be able to intellectually say, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, but to, but to live as if those things were true, to, to wrap our life around those realities. So it's not just saying, you know what? If you give me a multiple choice test, I can pick out Jesus is the bread of life. It's to say, Jesus is the bread of life, therefore, that question that we just sang, why do I worry? Why do I worry? Answer the question. Why do I worry? Is it because I don't actually believe that Jesus is the bread of life? And so I'm out there scrambling and scurrying, trying to collect as many acorns as I can before it starts to snow. Or do I trust He's the bread of life. That's what it means to believe, to wrap my life around, base my life upon these realities, not be able to answer, pick them out on the multiple choice test. And he promises us life, not just eternal life, abundant life here and now, John 10, 10. This is why he came, that we would have life and have it fully, that's what he offers you this morning. 
Aladdin. Disney remade that movie this summer. I saw it, and I was thinking about that and turning water into wine. Again, my first thought, and this was a conviction point for me, was Jesus, out of everything you could do, why did you pick that at that reception? And then I realized he could have done all kinds of things and done that. He's not limited. Jesus is not a genie in a lamp, and we get three wishes. And we want to make sure that we conserve those wishes for when we really, 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 really need them. And that's how many of us approach him. We don't recognize that God is our Father who is in heaven, that he's all-powerful, that he's all-good, that he's all-loving, and that he's always listening. His desire, he describes himself, Ephesians 3, as this God who does more than we can ask or imagine, immeasurably more. It's not three wishes. When I think about Jesus turning water into wine, to me, it's extravagant. It's almost superfluous. And I think the answer to that is yes, absolutely. Jesus doesn't have to conserve his power. He doesn't have to conserve his goodness. He doesn't have to to, to conserve his activity in our life. There's always more where that came from. So he can turn water into wine. That's not a waste. None of us, if we have three wishes, are spending it on that. But you got a lot more than three. You have a father whom you can confidently approach hour by hour and day by day as a son or as a daughter and say, here's where I need you to get involved in my life. You don't have to wait until the crisis moment. This is one of the big three in my life. And so, God, I'm going to ask you to get involved. I want to make sure that I keep somebody else from experiencing God. He doesn't work that way. Or, God, I'm going to save up. I'm going to be the guy that never asked you for anything so that when I do ask you for something, you'll kind of realize, oh, wait, I'm going to look back in the book and see, well, you know, Katie's never asked me for anything, so okay, this will be the time. None of that's conscious. But if you think about the way you relate to him, do you realize when he fed 12,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, there were 12 baskets left over? More than what was needed. Extravagant. Bless you. I, that, I was going to make a comment about that in the light, but we'll move on. Which one of those? Are you the, I got three wishes. Are you the 12 baskets left over? This morning, would you approach him? Not as a genie in a lamp. And you got to make sure this is really, really one of the ones that you want to use. Would you approach him as one who turns water into wine, 120 gallons worth? One who feeds 12,000 people and still has 12 baskets of bread left over. Let's pray. Ministry teams, you guys can come up. We'll pray with you for sure about anything. We'll have that slide back up on the screen. Which one of those do you most need to hear? Jesus said the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. So this morning, the Holy Spirit can and desires to lead you deeper into the truth of who Jesus is as your bread of life, 
as the light to your world, as your gate, as your good shepherd. What do you need this morning? Don't hear that as me saying be selfish or self-absorbed. Hear it as recognize the areas of need. Allow Jesus to be your Messiah today, the one the Father sent to rescue you. He's not asking you to swim to the shore. He's throwing you a life preserver. Just grab on. What do you most need? What do you need to be rescued from? Doubt, unbelief, confusion, sickness, guilt, alcohol, pornography, anger. What do you need to be delivered from, rescued from this morning? Holy Spirit, would you guide, lead each one of us deeper into the truth of who Jesus is as our Messiah, the Son of God, the one sent by the Father to rescue me, to rescue us. And I pray that you would confirm the reality of Jesus' identity in our life through signs and wonders and miracles. Like you said, just like you did in John, I pray that you would do the same in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand. We've got these ministry teams here. Come quickly, receive prayer. There's more, more than enough, more than enough. So come and ask for what you need. But we'll dismiss us in about five minutes.